Welcome, and thank you for joining the Red Umbrellas for Victims for another week. I'm Samantha. I'm Taylor. And I'm Reggie. And this week we are talking about one victim in particular who signed up for a job that she didn't realize her victimization would be in that job description. And that victim is Isis Italia Montoya Romero, also known as Isis Montoya. So Isis met her husband, Alexis, at 14 years old, and her family absolutely hated him. Her parents and her family were actually very important to her, but she couldn't discuss her circumstances with them as she got older. She told them she was living in Querétaro, Mexico, and being supported by her husband. However, she was living in Tijuana, where Alexis was sexually exploiting her. At the age of 19, she was working as a stripper, but also forced into prostitution by Alexis. However, the family disputes this, saying that they aren't sure if she was even sexually exploited, and they haven't heard from Alexis since her death. They don't believe that her husband would exploit her like that, which is absolutely absurd to me. I think this goes to show, though, how the families don't really know what is happening to these these members of their family, not even necessarily women, when you know they go missing. They don't necessarily know where they are, and it's of no choice in their own. She was still close to her family. They just didn't know about it. It was one of those things that you don't normally would tell your family about. I mean, and they obviously, even if she did, it doesn't sound like they would have believed it because they didn't, even though they didn't like him, they didn't believe that he would do that to her. Well, because like you don't expect like a husband to be like, oh, I want my wife to get into prostitution. You're not going to come home and be like, hey, my husband and I, we're uh, doing some endeavors down in Tijuana, you know? Like you don't just come home and say that. I don't think it's something that people are very proud about. I'd be interested to know why they didn't like him. Like, is it a completely different spectrum from what he was exploiting her to? So that way they, they never would have thought about it? Or I'm sure there was some form of abuse if he was able to have that kind of control over her. But, I mean, as a mother or a father, I can't imagine even wanting to think of your child that way. I but, mean, you cannot like somebody all day long, but you would never want to think of your child as being exploited like that. And then not believe that it wouldn't happen. I wouldn't want to believe it. I mean, if I was in their position, I wouldn't want to sit there and think of my daughter like that. But wouldn't that be like in the same sense of saying, well, my mom found out that I was raped and she didn't believe it because she didn't want to. They don't want to believe when that happened to their child, but they're still inclined to believe it because it's their child to help them. So why would you not want to believe it so you can help as much as possible? Well, I don't think a lot of these girls get the help that they need from anyone. No. They're really left to their own devices in some regard. And I don't think in this case that it really helped that she was keeping it from them either. Not that I feel like she would have really had a choice if she wanted to tell them. Because I think there was some sort of control there by Alexis. Well, it's probably not a normal conversation you have around the dinner table at Christmas time either. Like, hey, mom, this is what I'm doing for work now. And Alexis supports me. It's hard because... Like I said, it's not something you want to be proud about, but it also puts you in a dangerous situation of no one knows where you are. No one knows what you're doing. So it's not like they can come and help when you go missing for two days. And this is a good instance where you could easily blame the victim, but there's so many other factors that go into it, such as she couldn't tell them. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you tell them? So how can you blame it on the victim when it's not entirely within her control? Exactly. And especially when, like, her death. 
like how she died. I know Taylor, you have a little bit more on, on that. If you want to keep continue with that. Yeah. So she also had a three-year-old son that she had with her husband. And according to her Facebook page, her father and her son were more important to her than the other men in her life that aren't even on that page. She met a man named Logan Kelly on one of his trips from the United States to Hidalgo, Mexico. She then engaged in a romantic relationship with this man, and the relationship did not have any notable hiccups until Kelly learned about the profession that Isis was forced into. So did he go back to America, or did he stay with her? Or was it like a long-distance thing? He was like traveling back and forth and having like a long-distance relationship as well. But okay. the fact that everything went smoothly until she found he found out that she was a sex worker. Yeah, and there's a video uh, going around, which is pretty gruesome. He literally like comes up in her place of work, comes behind her, and slices her throat. And like, oh, fortunately, someone else was there. Like a man was there, but you don't know which men are dangerous in these situations because it's it's what they do. Men come in, take women into rooms. But uh, behind closed doors, no one really knows what goes on other than those two. Well, and of everybody that could possibly hurt you during this line of work, you don't expect it to be somebody that you're having a romantic, consensual relationship with. No. I mean, it was so out of the blue. He comes out of nowhere, and he just slices her neck, all because he found out that she was a sex worker. He, it was like a, he was in love with this woman, and then a switch flipped, and immediately he's like, I have to kill her. Well, it's the stigma of it. They're seen as, I don't want to they're seen as dog water. That's dirty. Dirty and, like, not even. They're like the scum of the earth. Exactly. and that's They're why, less than everybody else. And that's why they're more um, targeted. And I, I know that police officers put them as like high, high, high risk. risk. No, they're high risk, but... They're not treated as high risk. You don't see like police officers in these clubs or you don't see anyone, I want to say, advocating for them during that time. They're just kind of, oh, they know what's happening, but nothing's getting done about it. Well, I found a, um, a Times Magazine article from 2018 when the Me Too movement was really big. And it was saying that during this time, sex workers were being let out of that movement because of how people viewed them. And there's one sex worker, she said that in her blog, she had made mention that she was sexually assaulted. And some of the comments that she got back from people, they were saying things such as, they're whores anyways, and how can you sexually assault a whore? All because of what she did, but you could still be sexually assaulted. That doesn't make you any less of a person, doesn't make you any less of a victim when it does happen. Oh, for sure. The idea, like I kind of mentioned earlier, being less dead is appalling that they could be less than somebody else and i think in this case it's really incredible that one of the bystanders went and tracked down kelly after he killed his girlfriend and held him to the ground until the police came and was able to arrest him because this happened in mexico and i don't think that would have happened in the united states i don't think a man sitting at a bar at a strip club honestly would have ever taking a second look if somebody had just murdered one of the strippers or sex workers that was at that club. I think th- I, I disagree because I think if someone was murdered in cold blood in front of them, they'd say something. But I think the abuse, I think, would be overlooked. Like how these women are treated, like, I think it would be overlooked because I think we, we've been having this problem in America with girls being sexually assaulted and no one, no one sees it, no one cares. It's just 
guys being dudes, you know? Like, it's just men, boys will be boys. And it's even worse for these sex workers. Because they're putting themselves out there, not because they necessarily want to, but it's it's a source of income. It's one like an easy source of income. And in this case, she didn't have a choice. Mm-mm. She was forced into it. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if they were forced into it or if they're doing it on their own, they're still a victim. And that gets overlooked so often. So unfortunately, in Isis's case, she was pronounced dead at the scene in February of 2021. So this is a very recent case. This is still happening. You can't argue that this was an issue five years ago because it happened two months ago. Well, because they're targeted. Because if, if you look at one of the other killers back in the, like this, I want to say the 70s, if you ever, the Samuel Little case, he was murdering these prostitutes and these sex workers for years before they were even caught. So it's not, it, it goes, stems all the way back from the 1900s that these women are being targeted, being killed, being assaulted. And like he wasn't found and he wasn't allegedly like caught until he confessed. And they didn't find the girls until he confessed the girls. And he killed 93 women. 93. 93. 93. That is so many. That is such an absurd number. But he was able to get away with it because nobody was looking for them. Yeah, because he was convicted in 2000, I think, four for two two victims. And I don't I think he got ended up getting out. And then all of them, like, he didn't confess until 2014. That's like, I don't know. I can't do math well, but and like by 40 then, years. By then, his whole life was over at that point. Yeah, he was like in his 70s. Yeah. What more did he really have to live for after that? He was able to do whatever he wanted with no repercussions. Well, because they're targeted because they're most of the time they don't have contact with their family. They don't have close relationships. They're abusing drugs kind of thing. I think that's a belief. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's necessarily the case in most circumstances just because of instances like this where they're still close to their family, but their family has no idea what's going on. And I think that's what makes it dangerous is that nobody knows what's going on, not necessarily that they're not in contact with anybody. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think there's enough information about it because I guess we've mentioned it's so looked down upon. It's like, it's not my problem. It's not my life. I don't need to be worrying about these girls. They're they're doing their own thing. They're they're putting themselves out there. It's their fault. They're asking for it. Like they put themselves in that dangerous situation of it is a risk to get raped. It is they can say no, but men be like, I paid for this, I you can't say no. And it's still rape, it's still assault. And then when it does happen, because it is illegal in the US that they are afraid to come forward because they're just gonna be victimized again. Because they're just going to be arrested for soliciting illegal sex or something of the sort. Because, well, you shouldn't be doing that anyways. So if you weren't doing that, it wouldn't happen. But that's not the point. The point is, it's still happening and you still have these these men out on the streets that are just going to do it to somebody else. Yeah, I mean, he- whether it's in a strip club or another prostitute or whatever, they're still going to do it. Well, even in this case, this was his girlfriend. So even if it was some girl on the street or his girlfriend, like he still did it. I mean, you you get what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it wasn't some random person. It was somebody that he was romantically involved with. He was was capable of doing this. Yeah. This, I mean, this, 
belief permeates so much deeper than killing random strangers because they're prostitutes. It's killing anybody because they're a prostitute. It's like, I I think it's an American issue because in Germany you can go to brothels and they're very nice and the women are, have standards and treated very nice. And I think, I don't know a lot of details on it, but I know that the women are more protected in other countries. So when it comes to this kind of stuff, than here in America, I think. Well, what is really cool when I was doing um, some research before the show is in San Francisco in 2018, they passed a new law there that sex workers can actually go to police to report violent crimes with no repercussions. They're, they won't be arrested for it. And this is the first law of anything in the U.S. and the only place in the U.S. where they have any sort of protection to report a crime. So they're more likely now to come forward, at least in San Francisco. And this is, what, 2018 that this happened? So this is only two, three years since they passed this? It's a whole new thing. I didn't actually know about that. That's incredible. Yeah, right. Do you know if it's anywhere else in America or is it just San Francisco? Just San Francisco. I was reading it. It says right here, um, right from, this is San Francisco gov.org website. It says straight up, according to new policies released by the city's two largest law enforcement agencies, the San Francisco Police Department and the District Attorney's Office, sex workers will not be arrested or prosecuted for prostitution or minor drug offenses. They are reporting a violent crime. Created in partnership with the Department of the Statutes of Women and local sex worker rights organizations, including members of the Sex Worker and Trafficking Policy Impact Committee of the Mayor's Task Force on Anti-Human Trafficking. The policies are designed to prioritize the safety of sex workers over the prosecution of misdemeanor prostitution and drug-related offenses and to reduce the likelihood that victims of violence will themselves end up arrested or incarcerated. Isn't that just sex trafficking? Like, Do they have to be proven that they have like a pimp or whatever? Or is it just anyone who's in that line of work? It looks like it's just anyone that's in that line of work. Because it's really just talking about more so local sex workers. Why isn't this everywhere? That's what I'm wondering. Like there's st- like I said, there's still people too. Because San Francisco's its own brand of place. It really and is. And they're a lot more they're a lot more inclusive there. Okay. And I think that's a large issue is you bring up, hey, we want to give rights to sex workers in any conservative state. That ain't flying. Nobody's gonna do it. That's- Nobody wants to admit that they even exist. So why would some place that is not ready to advocate for sex workers going to implement something like that. But these white businessmen can go to a strip club on Friday night and be like, wow, look at these girls, but they can't advocate for them. Because they want to be able to still go to those strip clubs and say, wow, look at these girls. Well, it's not advocating for the fact that they they can still go dance because it's also known as exotic dancing. Like it is like a people do this for fun like pole dancing is exotic dancing i think it's more for the safety of them like you like you shouldn't obviously like there's rules in strip clubs like you can't put your hands on them but people do it anyways that's the thing so what people don't respect and i think that's what we're trying to get out is it's important to know that these women are still people too their mothers their sisters their 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 daughters and they're not just a piece of meat like, yeah, they put their body out there for money, but it doesn't give you the right to treat them like they aren't someone. And in this case, Kelly treated her like she was nothing 
And as soon as her father found out what happened, he was immediately driving to Hidalgo to try and even see his daughter's body and bring her home. Because like, she was still someone. She was, she was somebody's yes. daughter. She was somebody's mother. She was still a human being who deserved respect and decency. And he took that. He, he flat out took that. Instead of trying to help her, instead of trying to get her away from it, instead of trying to do anything else, he killed her because he was upset about it. Because of his view and the view that many people have on prostitution, not saying that everybody is going to go to that point where they're going to kill somebody when they find this kind of stuff out. That obviously, that's the extreme, but people are turned off by the fact when they hear that kind of stuff. Or even if they find out that somebody's a stripper, you know, they might be turned off by it because they're like, oh, that's dirty work, dirty money, dirty whatever, just because but it's you, not something they agree with. You got to do what you got to do sometimes, you know? Well, and you say that this is the extreme. This shouldn't be the extreme. The, I mean, maybe the extreme is, you know, shunning a little bit. But for the extreme to be murder, to take a life, that, I mean, that baffles me. It'll be interesting to see how this case plays out. Not only, because obviously there's going to be jurisdictional issues. So not only with that and how he's prosecuted, but how the U.S. continues to cover it. Are they going to keep focusing on the fact that he was this grand basketball player or are they eventually finally gonna straight up be like he's a murderer well and that's the issue right now so kelly was a collegiate basketball player for rutgers university and that is all the u.s news outlets have focused on they actually when talking about montoya they describe her as a 19 year old tijuana prostitute and that's it and then they go on to say you know she was murdered but oh this great basketball player he had you know all these accomplishments in basketball and you know, they talk about the, what he could have done but instead of that's not what, what he she did. could have done. Her mother and her, this mother and her son, what the life they could have had if he had not taken that. But it, once you kill someone, it doesn't matter what you could have been. You are now known as a murderer. Yeah. Like he, uh, you threw that away. You chose murder over playing basketball and that should be more focused on than what you could have been. That's what that blows my mind. Like she could have done all these great things. She was nineteen when she died. Yeah, she had a whole freaking life to she live. She was a baby, <laughs> and now this little boy has to grow up without a mother, who is truly a baby. I mean, he, three years old to watch your mother die in front of you by this man that's been in your life because it was your mom's boyfriend to watch him just kill her and have he doesn't understand why he has no idea what happened to have caused this, and now he has nobody. In the United States, if you look at the headlines from this case, they all start with former Rutgers basketball player. But if you look at the Mexico papers, they start with things like the last hours of Isis Italia. And I think that shows the complete disconnect between our country and other countries because we're focusing on who did it. You know, this great basketball player that could have done all these great things. But in Mexico, we're talking about who the victim was. It's America's problem. And, and, and I'm really I mean, not America's surprised. Problem. I mean, look at what Brock Turner, when he committed that rape. I mean, what were we focused on? The fact that he was going to, he was some Ivy League swimmer at some Ivy League college who, you know, had, shouldn't have to spend any time behind because he's this amazing swimmer. We're so focused on the sport aspect and that they go to this awesome college and not what they did. Welcome to, you know, U.S. media coverage. What do the people like to hear about? Sports players. And nobody cares about the victims in this country. No, oh, man. You know, we all know serial killers by name. Jeffrey Dahmer. 
Who did Jeffrey Dahmer kill? <laughs> Give me the names. Give me the names right now. List exactly. those women. List Nobody those women right now. They weren't women. Men. List those men right now. Ted it's Bundy. 2021. Ted, yeah. It's 2021. They're John not John I mean, We know all these names. The Night Stalker. We don't know who you their know, victims are. The Zodiac Killer. Unless their victims survive. We do know those. We know those survival stories because... They, they touch our hearts, but not these victims. Well, my, my aunt does know one of the Ted Bundy victims. That's because she went to school with the girl. Had she not have gone to school with her, she probably wouldn't know her. I guarantee she wouldn't know her. At all. But she knows her because she went to school with her. And that's it. And here we just sat and talked about Samuel Little. We didn't mention a we single one. We didn't mention one. a victim. And, and honestly, that, I mean, that shows just how ingrained this, ingrained this is in our society that even we, as we're sitting here trying to advocate for these victims, sometimes fall short. I mean, because we're all human, honestly. Mm-hmm. We're all human, but here we are talking about our mistake and exactly. recognizing that we messed up. Nobody else does that. Nobody's going to be like, oh, well, what about the victims? You know, like. I think that's something that people need to start discussing. And I'm going to throw it out to everyone listening. Start a discussion about it. So you talk about it. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Start next Sunday dinner. Oh, God. Bring it up. Oh, yeah, because that's what you want to do on a Sunday. Let's go to church and talk about prostitutes. <laughs> Why not? Make it normal. Hey, they're in the Bible. Normalize it. Yeah, yeah. it's the world's oldest profession. All right. I see you. I mean, they could probably tell you exactly. What, Delilah or whatever? Wasn't she like a prostitute or something in yeah, the Bible? Yeah, she was. So see? I mean, it's, it's there. Why not? It's important to get the information out there. And it's not just about prostitution. It's about all sex work as well. It's about the porn stars. It's about the strippers. Only the fans nowadays. You know, cam girls. It's a huge thing, especially right now with this pandemic. I think if you want to advocate for doing it, I think you should advocate for their safety as well. I think it's a two and it's a 50-50. Like, you can't say that they can do it without keeping them safe. So with, with speaking of safety, one really cool thing that I found as well is that there's actually an organization called Red Light Legal. And what they do is they actually provide direct legal services and representation as well as education for sex workers. They help to advocate to reduce the stigma. They help give them all that legal information. They have guides on where escort services are legal, how laws work for sex work in every single state that we have in the U.S., and I think it's a great organization if you're interested that people could definitely look into and see what they're about and if you want to help, what you can help with, or if you just need their services. If it's something that maybe you've experienced that kind of assault or crime as a sex worker, no matter what your sex work is, I think they're a great one to reach out to. And they're at redlightlegal.org. It doesn't even take a donation. It takes about talking in it, of it, talking about it in a more positive light, I think. Not necessarily being like, oh, that's something you should do, or it's just, I think we should stray away from the negative stigmatisms of sex work. For sure. I mean, I know when I mentioned to people that we were talking about Isis Montoya today, and we were going to discuss this, this sex worker, everybody was like, why? And I think that's the issue, is when we talk about it, that's the first question that comes up, and that's what we need to change. Well, and when you also make mention of it and you say that this is what you're going to be talking about and people are, their first thought goes to just trafficking victims. And it's not just about the trafficking victims. It's about all victims. 
everybody in the sex work industry, whether they choose it or not. And I think it's important to, especially important to bring up those who have chosen to be in that lifestyle, in that kind of work, because they're not talked about. You can't hardly find any information for them. Even scholars don't want to talk about them. When we were putting together the stuff for this podcast, we were trying to find information on different sex work and the statistics for it. There was hardly any statistics out there for those who chose to be in it. Most of them are for those who have been trafficked. And but, that same that same Times article that I was that I was reading, it was actually saying that there is no up-to-date statistics on the violence towards sex workers. That globally, sex workers, they have a 45 to 75% chance of experiencing sexual violence on the job. But there's no actual statistics out there for that right now. Well, and the problem is that in the field, human trafficking and sex work looks identical. And we shouldn't be discriminating against both of those groups when they look the exact same. Well, didn't you bring up that one time about that training for like the police department on how to recognize the difference between those who choose to be in it and those who are trafficked and it shouldn't be that way no we should be just trying to help everybody it doesn't matter what it looks like if they're being trafficked or not trafficked it's a matter of still helping them because they're human beings and helping them the same way i agree i think i kind of want to end on this quote from isa's montoya On her Facebook page, she says, time will tell what each person is worth. And I think that says quite a lot about her case as time told what both of the men in her life were worth. But also, as time has passed, we're seeing what she was worth. And I think that that means so much more than she ever intended it to. So once again, start talking about it. Thank you for listening to us. Leave comments. We want to hear what your thoughts are about it. If you have any information that you can put towards this that maybe we didn't talk about, let us know. We would love to hear it. We want to start that discussion with you guys. Maybe next time throw in some comments and talk about what you guys think as well. Like bring them in, bring more topic points. Like this is this is something that you can talk about for ages. There's so much that even we still don't know about. And if you have more information than us, it'd be great to throw it down. Throw it down in that comment section. We want to learn too. So we appreciate you guys joining us this week and we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye.